Hey everyone, it's Devin. I'm a psychiatrist and the host of the Huddle Wisdom Podcast, where I attempt to systematize the practice of empathy so that you, your loved ones, your children, your students, your patients can flourish in an ever-increasingly complex world. Boy, that was a mouthful. <laughs> um, I hope you are following me. If you're on the YouTube channel, welcome. Um, very grateful to have you here. I hope that you find this episode useful and practical. In this episode, I'm going to talk about how we can teach our kids to empathize. Uh, it's not just for kids, of course, uh, because the principles that I'm going to share with you applies to adults too. Well, all humans. Uh, empathy uh, as a construct is multidimensional. So what I mean by that is... Um, that there are various attributes of empathy. Uh, there's many ways that you can define it, um, but I've started to think about it in terms of different parts. Uh, obviously with empathy, uh, the, the whole is much greater than the sum of the parts. Um, but uh, when you look at empathy as a construct, there are a few things that, um, that, that comprise the qualities of empathic skill. And one has to uh, be able to appreciate the cognitive, affective, and perceptual components of empathy. So you need to be able to uh, understand how others are thinking, what emotions other people might be experiencing, and how they are feeling which has to do with your senses, uh, your physical senses. It's, uh, so, you know, perception and emotion are quite different things. There's still a lot that we are learning about empathy and how it is expressed and how we can foster skills to improve our capacity to empathize. I've said before that empathy is a critical thing for authentic human connection and relationships to flourish. It's, in my view, uh, the key to becoming truly influential in the life of people that you care about. Um, so you, you, if you can empathize effectively, you can become more impactful in the world that you inhabit because empathy facilitates trust. Uh, which is what we need in order to gain, sorry, which is what we need if we are ever going to have uh, any influence on people's hearts and people's minds. Um, so the question I asked, well, the, the, the whole idea of this episode is to talk about how we can coach our children to be more empathetic. Uh, some children have, find it easier to empathize and they're like ducks to water. You know, it takes um, a lot less polish uh, to get kids like that to empathize. They're kind of natural at it. Uh, they just have this inherent ability to connect with other human beings. Um, and it's very natural. Um, for other people, uh, it takes a bit of polishing around the rough edges to make it a little bit rounder, so to speak. 
uh, it doesn't come naturally to many people. So, so when you look at kids, uh, they come with varying degrees of empathic skill and ability. Um, now, I've made and will continue to make attempts to systematize what I call the practice of empathy, but it really is more of an art. You know, there's different ways to express empathy because we're all different. Um, and I'm really anxious that I don't want to simply just give you a collection of techniques, but uh, inevitably there's going to be some trial and error involved when we learn about uh, empathy and how to empathize. So we do have to test out different techniques over periods of time in order to see uh, what kinds of strategies work best for us. You know, what suits us the best. So just like we have different um, shapes and sizes, and, you know, uh, similarly, we, we all have different um, ways of being in the world and some strategies will not feel right to people and some might feel perfect so i'm going to share uh, six of my favorite tips with you today uh, so that you can start teaching your children how to empathize and develop their empathic skill i said before that separating out various components of empathy um, is one way of understanding it because um, you know i'm very simple-minded and it's um, it's hard to appreciate empathy in its uh, entirety uh, without separating them out into different parts. But I just note, like I said before, empathy is much, uh, much more than the sum of the parts. Starting out, um, our experiences as kids, um, our experiences as children, um, have a really important influence on uh, the development of our empathic skill. Uh, for example, how our parents or carers relate to us, how they communicate and convey messages to us has an impact. Cultural factors are also very important and you cannot ignore them. But it extends beyond race and color. Every family has a culture. I'm not talking about just, you know, differences in cultures across continents. I'm talking about subcultures, family cultures. Um, you know, every family has their own set of uh, beliefs and governing rules in which to live life, um, even within the same race. Uh, so you cannot ignore cultural factors. You have to uh, pay attention to some of that when you're thinking about uh, empathic skill development. Um, uh, so, for, for, for example, some, um, uh, some people might consider looking people in the eye rude or um, offensive, aggressive, you know. Um, social media clearly has an impact. And, you know, in our digital age, I always like to say that um, uh, it, it's very hard for parents to compete with very attractive competing forces when you have social media, uh, TikTok, YouTube. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube here, this is the exception, okay? 
Um, you also have to consider the mental models that parents and carers use to make sense of the world, and that informs family culture. Uh, but all those things, all those very values, mental models can be imprinted on a child's mind very early on. Uh, and that then um, affects how they manage emotions. So adults in a kid's life, in a child's life, a parent or a teacher is absolutely critical. Uh, all people who care for children, you have a very important role. So, you know, no, no pressure. Rearing a child in the digital age is not for the complacent. But even though you can't predict the outcomes of, um, you know, where your children are going to end up in the, in the end, you, you can predict, uh, sorry, you can prepare, you can prepare your kids. So without further ado, here are some of my favorite tips for raising children uh, to develop empathic ability and skill. Firstly, like I mentioned before, cultural factors matter. And being an immigrant myself, uh, it's possible that I may be more sensitive to some of these uh, issues than non-migrants, but there's no doubt in my mind that culture, cultural prejudice and bias seeps into kids' minds from the day that they are born. Kids are sponges and it's inevitable that they absorb, you know, cultural values. Um, kids are born and are exposed to the culture in which they are embedded. It's just a fact. Kids are born, kids are exposed to in the environment. That's just what happens unless you live in a bubble. So we have to be open to talking about cultural differences, but also cultural similarities. Now, I would also go as far as to say we have to recognize that there are racial differences. Okay, I said it, we need to appreciate that there are differences among different races. Look at me. I have almond eyes, right? Okay. If you weren't born in Malaysia, if you were born, um, I don't know, in Scandinavia, you could be Asian, you could have almond eyes like me, but statistically speaking, you're more likely to be white and you're going to have round eyes. Are you going to argue with me about that? I've got almond eyes, you see? So there's a difference, right? It's a difference. But, you know, we have to be able to recognize that humans are prone to holding various biases. It's normal, but we have to talk about them in an open way so that we can counteract unhelpful biases. If, uh, if we learn to recognize them, we can spot them early and counteract them early, and we can teach our kids to think logically just because there are racial differences among different people groups, 
doesn't mean we all can't get along because you're going to teach your kids how to empathize. All right? <laughs> Be open to culture and race. Let's talk about it. Okay. So, listen, I, um, I, I can think of one example, okay, why this is important. So, um, many years ago when I was a trainee doctor, I was looking after a young boy. I think he was 14 or 15. And he had, um, I diagnosed him with schizophrenia. Uh, I, I saw him at, uh, monthly for um, therapy treatment. And um, he came into my room, my office, uh, and he said, oh, it smells like fried rice. And I laughed and I said, yeah, it's because I ate fried rice for lunch just now. Instead of getting triggered, at, you know, like, how do you know I had fried rice? It's because I'm Asian. So, well, of course, I like fried rice. I'm Asian, right? <laughs> it's a fact. No need to be offended by that. Instead of getting triggered, we had a conversation about the foods that we enjoyed. He told me about the food he enjoyed from his culture. And then we decided in our conversation at the end that every culture has its own version of comfort food. And that's awesome. It's cool. It's great. It's awesome that we've got different sorts of foods. It's great that we've got different sorts of eyes. Variety is the spice of life. Real life offers opportunity for learning about different perspectives, but learning about differences. Like my young patient who liked the smell of my fried rice. Um, you know, if you can have open conversations with kids about cultural factors, differences. I'm going to talk very soon about similarities because this is key. Um, kids, when they learn about different cultures, different perspectives, it teaches them that people have different ways of thinking. It improves their theory of mind, which is really important when you're trying to, to develop a kid's empathic ability. So this brings me uh, to my next favorite tip, celebrate our differences so that we can appreciate our commonalities, our similarities. Ah, humans have less empathy for people that they perceive as dissimilar or different. So we have to have open discussions with our kids about differences so that we can then discover that we have many, many similarities. For example, what color is blood? It's red. Mm -hmm. Both aspects are important. Differences and similarities, that is. It's also, it, also, it allows us the room to build our capacity to appreciate difference, which is cool because helping people to help them empathize better also means that you have to help you also have to help them become cognizant of commonalities by appreciating our differences. Because if you don't understand where we're different, how do you know where we are the same? 
Man, huddle wisdom. Full of wisdom, right? Birds of a feather flock together and work together. Tip three. These aren't really tips, are they? They're more like philosophical ideas, but hopefully it helps you to generate uh, ideas for intervention. Okay, number three. Take different perspectives into account. And this bleeds into the first two principles or ideas. Uh, taking different perspectives into account helps you to counteract fundamental attribution error, which is this idea that you assume something terrible about another person that you don't know. Uh, okay, that's overly simplistic, okay? But think about road rage, right? So someone apparently cuts you off on the road and then you swear at them and you give them the finger and you say, oh man, um, look at this jerk. He's just cut me off. Uh, he probably did that on purpose. But actually, you're making a fundamental attribution error. How do you know that? How do you know that they purposely cut you off? You don't. You can't assume that, but you automatically assume that because, you know, you in that moment, uh, you weren't exercising empathy. Taking perspectives is well and good, but it can be a double-edged sword because uh, if you're going to be openly empathic and just kind of just, you know, trying to understand where everyone's coming from. It has a cost. Uh, joining another person's emotional experience is draining, especially if you're an introvert, especially if you're an empathic introvert. So for some kids, um, you know, you might see them hide or run or reel or look like, you know, they're trying to avoid conflict when they've clearly caught <laughs> Uh, contributed to conflict uh, but when they see another child hurt or in pain it makes them feel pain and so pain is very painful and so we want to protect ourselves from feeling that uh, and so it's normal and natural to run away and hide and survive so sometimes kids who run away when they may have been the ones that contributed to a conflict it's not that they're psychopaths or don't appreciate that something bad has happened. It's just that they just feel a lot of pain for the other person, maybe. And so that's why they've, you know, chosen to disengage. The reason why I'm telling you this is because it's really common to see this, uh, really common to see this in kids. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the tendency is for adults to berate the kid that's run off. Oh, don't you care? Don't you care that your brother is hurting here? You know, you've just slapped him in the face and then you've run off. Your brother's crying. Aren't you, aren't you upset? Now, we, we make the mistake here of punishing before, sorry, admonishing before understanding. It's normal, okay? It's normal for us to react first rather than reflect. So we have to be, we have to be in, intentionally try to reflect. Um, Uh, so, okay, in the case of that kid who ran away in the face of pain that he's seen in his brother, um, you know, you, you can't assume that the child who caused the pain is psychopathic, right? Um, 
you know, if you come down hard on that child, you could elicit shame responses, which then causes that child in question to double down. No one likes to feel shame. They'll double down. They might get angry and react. So slow down, reflect, don't react yet. Uh, it's, uh, it's normal and natural to, and, and necessary sometimes, but we, we realize that if we close ourselves off too much to pain and are too inward looking, we aren't going to be able to master the art of empathy. But like I was saying earlier, as I alluded to, the corollary of perspective taking, like feeling my brother's pain, even though I slapped him, um, is, uh, is very draining. Uh, it takes a lot of energy. Um, and it can be very uh, scary, you know, being, you know, feeling my brother's pain is, is really painful. It's, you know, I love my brother. I don't have a brother. I have a sister. I love my sister. And the, the, the shame I feel from having slapped her when I was a kid. Oh, man. I remember running away and then my parents um, smacking me with the cane, <laughs> which made me angry. Okay. One, I was already feeling ashamed that I slapped my sister. She was crying and in pain. At the time, in that moment, I was really angry. And then I felt shame after she started crying and ran away because I didn't like that feeling of shame. My parents slapped me with a cane and then I felt angry, you know, and, they, and my parents, God bless them, uh, good parents. But in that moment, in those moments, you know, many moments, uh, you know, they would come down hard. Shame, 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 shame. Devin, uh, you hit your sister. So, you know, you get this punishment. And we're going to, you know, and anyway, anyway. So when I felt shame, it meant that I couldn't empathize with my sister very well. I felt shame. I felt angry. And then I felt resentful towards my sister. Shame turned to resentment. So um, why am I telling you this? Well, because if you look in the adult world, does this story look like any other stories going on at the moment? Ukraine, Russia. Mm. I said before that kids are like sponges and they absorb our mental models and they absorb the way that we respond to problems. So we have to show them how to respond to problems. We have to show them that it's okay to feel other people's emotions and that we're not going to get lost ourselves in that feeling. Uh, but we also have to show our kids that there is a way to metabolize strong emotions. And one really good way of doing that is through conversation, sharing and talking with one another. When children feel that they can rely on their adults to take deep, powerful, strong emotions and metabolize that in a safe, secure, validating way and offer children support, even when feelings get hard, they internalize that. They internalize those experiences. And over time, 
They learn that it's okay to feel stuff, but also you're not going to lose yourself if you feel stuff because you're going to have ways to deal with those emotions healthily. Now, this is important because if kids can learn how to do that, it makes it much more likely for them as adults to take emotional risks, which is good if you want to raise kids that helps other people in need. Okay, when life gets hard, when people start feeling deep, strong emotions, your kids are not going to just run away. Because they know that they can feel stuff with the person in front of them. It's not going to destroy them because they're going to have healthy ways of dealing with it because they've seen you deal with it. One way of helping children to develop both perspective taking and learning how to metabolize emotions is by uh, taking, by watching movies and discussing scenes from the movie or reading books and discussing uh, themes from books. Uh, but make sure you do some selective analysis of the stories before you have kids watch it. So for example, if you have a young toddler, you know, don't watch the alien series with them. Okay. Don't, don't go watch that stuff. It's horrif horrific. Although I was raised on horror movies as a child. Explains a lot. Because I can empathize very well with people who, who are scared of stuff. <laughs> um, okay. So it, teach kids to talk about stories, stories that they see in film, in books, uh, uh, talk about the problems that characters in the story face, how they felt, how they worked through that uh, conundrum, how they conquered it. Uh, by the way, Beauty and the Beast is actually a really good film to analyze with kids. Uh, Raya is also really good. Both Disney films, I believe, I think. Breakfast Club, if you're a child of the 80s like me, is wonderful. Um, just brilliant. Brilliant. I love that film. Um, if, you, if you're wondering why I'm bringing it up, it's because The Breakfast Club is a great example of um, different people coming together and being united uh, in the knowledge that they have, they have very similar um, conflicts in their life the form of the conflicts are different sorry the content of the conflict is different but the form is the same they're united by their problems principle four like people like people in inverted commas like them make the decision to like people l-i-k-e we empathize better when we like another person. One of my old bosses gave me the best pieces of advice I ever received when I was in medical training. So in our clinic, we often had patients who were marginalized, somewhat rough around the edges, you know, desperate people in need of help. Uh, because they were um, spent emotionally, uh, they did away with social niceties. Um, sometimes. And uh, if you were not um, 
psychologically or emotionally mature, it was very difficult for you to work in that clinic. It made it hard for you to treat people because if people offended you, you would not like them. And then that would affect the outcomes uh, of their treatment. You know, not liking a patient actually does have an impact on treatment outcomes. Uh, so my boss said to me, before you see your patient, before you see so-and-so, Tom, Dick, Harry, Sally, Mary, Karen, I want you to intentionally make the decision to like them. I thought that was very weird, but I don't anymore because it works. I want you to start intentionally making the decision to like someone, someone that you may have disliked in the past. Okay, so today, flip the switch in your head from I don't like them to, no, no, today I'm going to decide to like them. It's amazing what happens in your brain chemistry. Now, you need to practice it because it's difficult to begin with, but it does get easier with time, especially with children. Uh, but it's important that you as the adult start to do this because you're going to need this skill down the line. Children don't have the impulse control to suspend their dislike for someone. So it's best that you do it first. Okay. One way of helping kids to change their perception of another person is to get them to pause and think about the other person's emotions, but go further than that. Ask them to rate the intensity of another person's emotions. How sad are they? Rate it from zero to 10. 10 being the most sad. Zero being they're not sad. How upset are they? How upset do you think they are? Kids are much more likely to empathize with another person when they, when they can stop and reflect on what they are feeling, regardless of whether they are likable or not. Use real life narratives and situations because that's great you can use movies as well a great villain to do this with is darth vader okay so uh, darth vader i, I kind of like him he's likable why because i made the decision to like him is that weird i don't know what that does is it helps you to empathize with this situation. Now, I, when I was growing up, the, the first Star Wars film was episode four, okay? So I was from that generation. And Darth Vader was not likable. We didn't have the backstory, right? Like um, kids born in the uh, 2000s. I guess you had episode one come out, I think. Or was it? late 90s i can't remember but we didn't have the backstory in the 80s right although that movie came out in 1979 i think anyway uh yeah we didn't have the backstory so all we had presented to us was darth vader this evil villain right that was really mean <laughs> for some reason he hated um uh, jedi uh, and you know but anyway think about darth vader turn on your like like switch and like him. And then what I want you to do is to think about 
his rationalizations for his actions. Kids, let's do, let's, let's play a game. Let's pretend that Darth Vader is our best friend. Okay? Now, our best friend is going around the universe, you know, slashing and burning villages, killing Jedi. You know, he's really angry for some reason. He's, you know, he's got this chip on the shoulder and he wants to take out um, the rebel forces. Like, oh, why does he want to do that? Best friend, Darth Vader. Man, he's really putting in a lot of effort to do this, right? He's like, he is spending a lot of empire money, credits or whatever, um, in the pursuit of getting rid of Jedi. Why is that? You know, did the Jedi do something bad to him? Maybe he's trying to get revenge, you know. Maybe someone hurt him real bad when he was little. Um, right? Maybe someone corrupted him. Maybe someone influenced him negatively. And, you know, or maybe his mom didn't love him. I don't know, whatever. You can generate all kinds of narratives. But you have to like your villain. And then you have to think about how they are feeling. And then you have to be curious about their rationalizations for their actions. No one wakes up in the morning thinking I'm going to be the bad guy today. No one wakes up thinking, man, I can't wait to be a jerk. Cannot wait to be a jerk. Can't wait to cut off Dr. Tan in his car as he's driving to work. Can't wait to do that. Very few people do that. Luckily, most people don't. So rather than jumping to conclusions about a person's moral character, you know, they're just a jerk. No. Like them. How are they feeling? How is that feeling being felt on an intensity scale? And what rationalizations are they making for themselves? to justify an action. And that helps you to take perspective. Number five, speaking of villains, like I said before, kids and people are less likely to show empathy if they feel ashamed. And if they are seen as the villain. So some folks like Darth Vader act in villainous ways or you know, it's perceived to be villainous because they felt shamed or they've been humiliated or threatened. And often it's associated with a sense of hopelessness that, you know, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. So they might as well just be bad. If we feel that others are using strategies to make us feel shamed, we can act out badly. Blasted Jedi, they've thwarted me again. You know, darn it trying to make the empire a better place by getting rid of these blasted Jedi. Yuck. And now they are fighting against me. Ooh, I'm so mad. They're so annoying. They're getting away. They, they're getting in the way of my plans. I'm going to make the Death Star. That'll take care of them. 
Another feeling that is most likely to generate empathic responses is actually guilt as opposed to shame. Now, if you remember, I think in this uh, episode six, The Return of the Jedi, remember at the end when Darth Vader, um, uh, Luke Skywalker and the, um, the Emperor, Emperor Palpatine, are all in the same room together. And um, Luke is like, you know, thrashing around on the ground. He's been hurt after a fight with Darth Vader, who's his dad. Um, and then Emperor tells Darth Vader to destroy Luke. Uh, and in the moment uh, of reflection, Darth Vader stops in his tracks and pauses to think. Now, I think in that moment, he felt a tinge of guilt. Oh my gosh, what have I done? And then changes his behavior. It doesn't mean that you should guilt trip your kids. That's not what I'm saying. Guilt tripping is bad. We should not resort to tactics that make our, feel, our kids feel threatened or humiliated in an effort to change their behavior or make them feel guilty. That guilt has to be organic. We should firmly and gently guide our children towards considering actions and the effects of their actions, help them to put themselves in another person's mind, discuss how these uh, actions impact on other people's feelings and their own. Now, you may not resolve conflict quickly like this, but you stand a much better chance of turning villains into heroes. Number six. This is the last principle for today. FaceTime. I'm not talking about the Apple thing, FaceTime. Uh, this one can be fun to play with. Children can read faces and emotional expressions from a young age, but uh, they don't do that in a sophisticated way. Clearly, they're still learning. So um, children, young children, uh, <clears throat> when it comes to facial expressions, they're much better at detecting intense emotions, subtle emotions like, um, I don't know, envy, jealousy, uh, disgust. Uh, it's much more difficult to, um, uh, to identify, but things like sadness or anger, a bit easier, especially if it's more intense, mm, right? Or it's useful to have open discussions with your kids about facial expressions and body language that you see and observe around you in the world, but also in movies, cartoons, Think about the tone, tone of voice. Have lots of discussions with your kids and relate that to an underlying emotion. Oh, kids, Darth Vader. Can't see his face. Or oh, Luke. Oh, man, man, he's thrashing around on the ground. Uh, he looks like he's in pain. Right? Looks like he's in pain. What does pain look like, kids? Can you copy what pain looks like? So what you want to do as an exercise is to find material, photos, films, or real life situations uh, where you might have seen someone do a facial expression 
or some gesture with their body. I want you and your kid to make up a narrative around that situation. Yeah, look, Luke's thrashing on the ground. I wonder what's going on there. Darth Vader looks like he's kind of upset. Um, I wonder why. What's going on? He's, he's looking upset. Emperor Palpatine. He's always looking constipated, angry. Why? Why is that, kids? What do you think's going on? What's his story? Um, did he take his laxatives today? Has he got irritable bowel syndrome? Maybe he's got chronic bowel disease. Who knows? He's very wrinkled. Uh, maybe he's really, maybe he's, you know, he looks old, but maybe, anyway, I, I could carry on, right? Different versions of different stories. Uh, helps you to then understand or helps you to generate different perspectives. You can double down on this by mimicking the facial expressions that you see on the screen or uh, on the magazine page of the other, of the person in the photo or on film expressing that same emotion, uh, facial expression. And why do you want to do that? Because you want to train kids to learn various facial expressions. Sounds simplistic. I know. I know. What do you think so-and-so's face would look like if he was feeling happy? You know, what would Darth Vader's face look like if he was happy or if he was feeling proud or if he was feeling jealous or if he was feeling um, sad or anxious? What would he be doing with his hands? Right? What would he be doing with his body? You know, Luke, you know, uh, or Emperor Palpatine. Darth, Darth, um, can you please get me a glass of water? Uh, I'm really thirsty. Um, as you can see, I'm very dry, I'm very wrinkled. I need some hydration. You can even play a version of charades with your kids where people act out an emotion um, and then you have to guess what that emotion is um, or your kid has to guess the emotion. People have to guess um, and so they have to think and reflect. Well, that was it, my friends. I have to stop now. We're coming on 45 minutes. This is probably the longest episode I've done so far. Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, I've probably waffled on for too long, but I hope this was useful. I hope it helped you. If you want to learn more, feel free to hang out on the Huddle Wisdom blog or go to, um, you know, look at the podcast um, page on wherever you listen to podcasts and you can scroll and have a look at what other episodes I have on that, uh, uh, on the podcast. I delve into some of this um, in the Practice of Empathic Discipline course, which is available on HuddleWisdom.com. Um, uh, if you're not interested in the course, that's fine. Um, go sign up for some of the free resources that I have. HuddleWisdom.com Jedi Mind, which helps you to start empathizing um, skillfully. And um, anyway, give us your email. We'd love to stay in touch give you updates, give you tips and 
you know, uh, ideas about uh, how to empathize more skillfully, how you can teach your kids to do that too. And we're going to share some tidbits about, you know, navigating life's complexities. So anyway, with that, um, so glad that you could join me, my friendly friends, my fellow, my fellow huddlers. I'm Davin. I'm a psychiatrist, regular family guy, your host on the Huddle Wisdom Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you next week for another invigorating episode. See you guys.